You're listening to the Paleo NP podcast, episode number 11. Welcome to the Paleo NP podcast. I'm Martha, a family nurse practitioner and creator of MarthaFlorence.com. I live in Anchorage, Alaska with my boyfriend and fur children. I'm here to share my take on integrative health, nutrition, and fitness, answer your questions, and talk with health and wellness experts. You can submit your questions at MarthaFlorence.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Remember that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Paleo NP podcast. This week, I am going to be talking all about autoimmune disease and answering some questions that I got. But before I get into that, I've got some news and, of course, something new that I'm into. So first up is the e-course that I'm working on. It is not quite done yet. Um, I got sick and had a terrible cough. So I really think that I did everyone a favor by trying, by not trying to record videos for that while I was coughing and had a stuffy nose. It would have either taken me four times as long to edit out all the coughing or there would have been tons of coughing in the recordings. So I decided to just wait until that wasn't an issue before I did that step. So keep your eyes out for that e-course because it is still coming. Also, a few weeks ago, I did a survey on Instagram stories about blog posts, basically whether people wanted to see long and in-depth posts or some shorter, more daily life type stuff. And the responses were overwhelmingly tipped in the favor of daily life type stuff. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been doing some shorter but more frequent blog posts. Um, Last week I did a few what I ate in a day type posts, and this week there are a couple of other random things, like Monday's post about mourning the loss of fictional characters. So I'm still doing some experimenting as far as what people actually want to read, but I'm also going to continue to do longer, more informative posts like I've been doing because I like to have those posts for people to reference if needed, And I still really want that information piece to continue to exist as well. So go check out the blog, marthaflorence.com forward slash blog and report back and let me know what you are loving and what you want more of. All right, on to something new that I'm into this week, which is the Olympics. I mean, they're almost over, but I've been watching a lot of them. And I think this happens every time I watch the Olympics, but I get all excited and I think that I'm just as good an athlete as any of the people competing or that I should try a new sport because they just make it look so easy. So I watched a whole bunch of the speed skating events um, towards the beginning and now I'm ready to go be a speed skater which I'm sure is not an easy thing to do, but in my head, I'm in pretty good shape. I mean, I just ran two 50K races over the course of the past few months. I'm a pretty decent ice skater and I can cross country ski pretty well. So all of those things combined should make speed skating no big deal, right? I will definitely let you guys know if I ever try it. I'm sure it would be a really entertaining experience to watch. All right, so let's dive into this week's topic, which is autoimmune disease. So last week, I briefly touched on what autoimmunity actually is, but I wanted to dive into that a little bit more because it is so much a part of what I do with clients, and it's becoming a bigger issue for so many people, especially women. It's actually one of the top 10 leading causes of death in females, so both women and children. 
up to age 64. The National Institute of Health estimates that 23.5 million Americans suffer from one or more autoimmune conditions, which compare that to the 9 million Americans affected by cancer and the 22 million affected by heart disease. And actually, the American Autoimmune Related Diseases Association, so the AARDA, actually estimates that um, just over 50 million Americans are affected by autoimmune disease. And the difference between the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health, and the AARDA statistics is because the NIH only uses the 24 diseases for which there are really good epidemiological studies for. And the AARDA includes almost 100 different diseases that have had, um, that have been determined to have some sort of autoimmune component. So autoimmune diseases include things like rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, lupus, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's disease, colitis, IBD, psoriasis, endometriosis, and so many more. I'm sure that I missed a few big ones, but those are what come to mind at the moment. All of those diseases, while they may seem unrelated, are actually forms of autoimmune disease. So these autoimmune diseases occur when your immune system, which is actually designed to protect you from foreign invaders, begins to attack your own tissues. This happens from the interaction between your genes if you are predisposed to developing an autoimmune disease um, and your environment. When you have an autoimmune disease, the body accidentally creates antibodies against itself. These are what we call autoantibodies, so auto means self. And genetics determines the likelihood of your immune system developing these autoantibodies, but environmental triggers are what actually makes it happen. Both genetics and environment determine how aggressive the immune system will be in its attack, which is why controlling environmental triggers is so important. If your body has already started making autoantibodies, removing the environmental factors that contribute to their creation will actually prevent the immune system from completely going haywire. One of the many frustrating parts about an autoimmune disease, unlike so many other diseases, is that they don't have any medical specialty to support them. And there's also um, a lack of research and funding, and most treatment options only manage the symptoms, but don't really have any effect on the disease or the overall prognosis. Some autoimmune diseases cause chronic, constant symptoms, and others have these periods of what are called flares and remissions, so periods where you're feeling good and periods where you're having a lot of symptoms. They can involve any organ system in your body. So, for example, if you have rheumatoid arthritis, like your joints are affected. If you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, your thyroid is what is affected. It might seem like these are very different conditions, but they're related in that your immune system is malfunctioning in the same way for both of them. So autoimmune diseases often present with really nonspecific symptoms like pain or fatigue, and these, these really nonspecific symptoms make diagnosis very difficult. And the same disease can actually have very different symptoms in different people, which makes it even harder to get an accurate diagnosis. Symptoms can range from life-threatening that require close monitoring and in some cases around-the-clock care. So in somebody with something like multiple sclerosis that's very advanced, they may need around-the-clock care, to um, more mild annoyances that hardly disrupt somebody's life. Most people fall in the middle of this spectrum, 
living with chronic conditions that impact our lives, but our healthcare providers and those um, we're close to can't really provide us what we need. And oftentimes we don't really know what we need. We just know we feel terrible. So there are three major factors that contribute to the development of autoimmune diseases. And those are genetics, environmental triggers, and diet and lifestyle. So genetics, the genes that you inherit play a part in determining whether or not you are at risk for developing an autoimmune disease. So unlike something like a genetic disease where just one or two gene mutations is responsible for developing the disease, there are many genes that affect your risk for autoimmunity. And you can actually inherit um, kind of a cluster of these genes that put you at risk for autoimmune diseases. And this is why autoimmune diseases tend to run in families, but why many members of the same family often suffer from very different autoimmune diseases. So just because um, your mom had an autoimmune thyroid condition does not mean that you will also have an autoimmune thyroid condition, but it does mean that you are more susceptible to a whole range of autoimmune diseases. Also, once you develop one autoimmune disease, you are at an increased risk for developing additional diseases. And the statistics on that kind of vary as far as where you look, um, what they are, but upwards of 25% of people with one autoimmune condition have multiples or go on to develop multiples. So the second thing is environmental triggers. And blaming all autoimmune diseases on genetics seems like a really easy thing to do, but unfortunately, genetics is only part of the story. The saying goes that genes load the gun, but the environment pulls the trigger. So pathogens, chemicals, and other things that your immune system is exposed to in your everyday life can actually play a role in disease development. Certain viral and bacterial infections have actually been linked to the development of autoimmune disease. Um, so something that is a big deal for me is the Epstein-Barr virus. That's been linked to um, several autoimmune conditions, but the first one that comes to mind is actually multiple sclerosis. And exposure to toxins and chemicals can also, also put you at risk for developing autoimmunity. And then the third piece of this is diet and lifestyle. So diet contributes to the development of autoimmune disease by contributing to something called increased intestinal permeability, which is also called leaky gut, as well as um, nutritional deficiencies. And then there are things like problems with sleep, lack of movement, exposure to prescription and over-the-counter medications. Those things can also increase your risk for developing an autoimmune disease. Stress also plays a big role in the disease process, and those who have both chronic and acute stress in their life are actually at a higher risk. So the thing to keep in mind is that just because you develop autoantibodies, as we talked about before, does not mean that you have an autoimmune disease. An autoimmune disease occurs when you have to have four things happen. So you have autoantibodies, the system that's in your body for eliminating these autoantibodies fails, your immune system is stimulated to attack your own cells, and enough damage occurs to cells or tissue that the symptoms of a disease actually begins to occur. So while there's not a lot that you can do about your genetics, you can do something about managing your diet and your lifestyle choices, as well as making an effort to limit your contact with exposure to toxins and chemicals. There are all sorts of things that cause your immune system to become overworked and fail to differentiate between an actual intruder and your own cells. 
but one of the best examples of this is gluten. So not only does gluten contribute to leaky gut and inflammation, but from the perspective of your immune system, the gluten protein looks very similar to your thyroid tissue. So you've got partially digested gluten proteins that leak out of your gut and into your bloodstream because you've got leaky gut and your immune system is busy keeping all of the normal things like viruses and bacteria under control as well as keeping up with all of the inflammation in your body from stress and maybe a poor diet and then you've got these gluten proteins floating around that look like thyroid tissue and suddenly at some undetermined tipping point it can't see it being your immune system, can't see the difference or gets confused between the gluten and your thyroid tissue, and it starts to attack your thyroid. It's like when you're trying to have a conversation with too many people at once by text message and suddenly you've sent the wrong text message to the wrong person, or when you're quickly scanning through a bunch of numbers in a spreadsheet and you mistake a one for a seven. So now that we understand what an autoimmune disease is, let's talk about treatment. The treatment options from a conventional medical standpoint are not all that great because we don't really understand about the actu- a lot about the actual cause of autoimmune disease. The treatment part gets pretty tricky. Now, ask any conventional doctor or healthcare provider what causes an autoimmune disease, and they will probably say that we don't really know. Now, at the beginning of these, this episode, I told you about three things that contribute to the development of an autoimmune disease. And I think that conventional medicine would probably at the very least agree with the genetics portion of that statement, but I doubt that most conventional medical practitioners would agree with the rest of it. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with them or the way that they practice, but most of them just weren't taught to think of things, to think about things in this different way like functional practitioners are. So the treatment options for autoimmune diseases generally include things like immune suppressing drugs anti-inflammatories and steroids, which are both immunosuppressive and anti-inflammatory. So these drugs are great if all you want to do is stop the symptoms, but they do absolutely nothing to address the actual cause of the disease. Again, this is a common problem with conventional medicine, but I, I always talk about this and I feel bad. Like there's, I'm glad conventional medicine exists because when I break my arm or need surgery, I definitely want those people there. But for these more chronic conditions, it just doesn't really do a good job of taking care of these people who have these these chronic health problems. So the other issue with most of these medications is that they can cause a huge number of undesirable side effects that either end up getting you more medications to treat the side effects or the side effects aren't actually severe enough to warrant any further treatment and just something that you have to put up with. It can really feel like a lose-lose situation for so many people. So if you come at this from a more holistic or functional perspective and address the part of the three things that contribute to autoimmune disease that you can control, so that would be the environment part and then the diet and lifestyle part, there is so much more than you, that you can do beyond just taking medications. And I'm not going to get super detailed about this because I want to move on to some questions, but the basics are that you absolutely need to address your diet. If you do nothing else, going gluten-free, especially if you have a thyroid condition, can do amazing things for you. And if you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you really just need to be gluten-free. And this is not like a, I'm going to eat gluten-free most of the time. It's you need to be gluten-free all of the time. And that's a process and you shouldn't beat yourself up over it. But I think 
it's one of those things that you just see such a huge return on the investment in the effort when you finally get to that point. Um, for all of the reasons that I just talked about as far as your immune system not being able to differentiate between thyroid tissue and gluten. So beyond the gluten-free diet, you'd want to address any food sensitivities that you have because eating foods that you're sensitive to can contribute to inflammation in your body, which contributes to the cycle of immune system dysfunction and the overwhelm that your immune system feels um, that's a problem in autoimmune disease. And it also contributes to leaky gut, which I forgot to mention that there is some research that shows that leaky gut is actually a requirement for developing an autoimmune disease. And I think that it was Matt Lalonde who did some research um, correlating the presence of leaky gut in autoimmune diseases. And I think that they looked at over 34 diseases and every single one of those that they looked at, leaky gut was present in. So you may need to have a leaky gut before you have autoimmune disease. So if you can prevent the leaky gut or treat the leaky gut, then possibly you can prevent or reverse the autoimmune disease. Now, everyone wants to go out and get tested for food sensitivities, but that testing is actually not super accurate and doesn't always show everything that you may be sensitive to. I definitely want to do a future episode on this because it's really important to understand, but the absolute gold standard for food sensitivity testing is actually still an elimination diet. And I know that everyone wants to go do testing because they don't want to do the work of an elimination diet. And I totally get that. But you guys, you've got to be real with yourself. You either need to do the work and feel better or you need to suck it up and live with your symptoms. And I don't mean to sound like a jerk, but that's the reality of this situation. You've just, you've got to do the work. I can't tell you how many food sensitivity tests I've gotten back and gone over with people and they say, oh, but that doesn't show whatever. And I know I react to that. So if you react to it, don't eat it, even if it doesn't show up on your test. End of story. At the very least, I'd recommend starting with something like a Whole30 or the reset diet that I have in my book, The 30-Day Energy Reset, and following the reintroduction protocol in either of those programs. But sometimes you need to dive deeper um, with something like an autoimmune protocol too. This is all stuff I'm going to get super in-depth with in my e-course, so I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty details right now. And part of the lifestyle piece that you need to address is stress management. In the show notes, I will link to a blog post that I have about how stress is probably making your autoimmune disease worse and what to do about that. And after you address your diet and manage your stress, you need to address your environment and other lifestyle things that are contributing to exposure to pesticides, plastics, endocrine disruptors, and so on that are present in your personal care products, your cleaning products, your food, your food storage containers, and so on. Because I know that I've used this analogy before, but it's like a jar of water in a paper bag, and all of these things are hits against your immune system. Um, They're like drops of water into that jar, but you can't see the jar, so you have no idea which drop is going to overflow it and cause you to develop symptoms of an autoimmune disease. So taking the time to fix the things that you have control over, like diet and lifestyle, is so very worth it. Okay, so now I've got a few questions that I want to address. The first one, and I'm sorry that I didn't write down anyone's names when I compiled these, so sorry about that. Um, The first one is about thyroid hormone replacement. 
So when should I be put on thyroid hormone replacement? In my opinion, all signs point to a thyroid condition and I feel terrible most of the time, but my doctor says my labs are normal. I've done plenty of research and followed AIP for a while, but I have not improved as much as I had hoped I would. So this is a great question and something that I relate to because when I was trying to get my diagnosis, I was wishing for a thyroid condition because I was like, cool, I can just take a pill and feel better. Um, that's not exactly how it went, but I, I get it. I've been there. So AIP does a great job of knocking out inflammation and healing a leaky gut, but it unfortunately does not repair or reverse the damage that may have been done to your thyroid, and it's not a replacement for thyroid hormone if you need it. Also, a side note that over 80% of hypothyroid cases are actually Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune version of hypothyroid. So if you have been diagnosed with hypothyroid, hypothyroidism at any point, but have not actually had your antibodies tested to see if you have Hashimoto's, that's a really good thing to ask for. In Hashimoto's, your immune system just sort of slowly destroys your thyroid. And for a lot of people, it can take years, like 10 or even 20 years before they really start to have any symptoms or even start to notice that anything is off. And also our bodies are really good at compensating. So in the early stages of almost any disease, you likely won't notice much because your body is able to keep it together by compensating in other ways. Our bodies always want to be in, ba in balance. It's something called homeostasis. So they do a lot to keep up the illusion that everything is fine. Now, I don't have the whole story here, and I'm curious what exactly, exactly what labs this person has had done, because most doctors really only test a TSH, which isn't really all that helpful when it comes to actually diagnosing a thyroid issue. So while your TSH might be normal, I'd be curious to know what your other thyroid labs look like, a T3, a T4, and reverse T3 at the very least. Also, is your TSH really in range? Because a lot of conventional doctors go with the range that's on the lab results form, but in a functional practice, there are other ranges that we use because those are the ranges that we've found most people actually feel better at. So for a TSH, that would be around one to two or maybe even lower, depends on who you consult, what range you get, but it's somewhere in the one to two range. And honestly, testing a TSH to diagnose a thyroid disease is pretty useless because the TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone, actually comes from the pituitary gland, which is what stimulates the thyroid. So when you are testing a TSH, you're actually testing how well the pituitary gland is working and how much stimulation the thyroid is getting, but it really says nothing about the actual function of the thyroid. Anyway, if you tried an elimination diet for a while, and I also don't know um, what a while is here, but I would say that if it's been at least three months and you aren't feeling much better, then it's definitely time to do some more digging. Now, that might mean finding a doctor who is willing to do some additional testing, and that's actually what I would recommend that this person do since they say that their labs are normal, but I'm not sure that we have the whole picture here. So I know that was kind of a convoluted answer, but this thyroid stuff can get pretty complicated, and most of the time it's not a matter of either or. It's more a matter of doing several things together to get the best result. And with the thyroid, it almost always involves medication because that's just such an important hormone in your body. But getting the diagnosis piece in place is really hard for a lot of people. All right, so next question is, 
My functional medicine doctor recommended that I take iodine supplements to support my thyroid. I have heard mixed things about this. Is it good or bad for someone with Hashimoto's? So the short answer that I have to this question is that I do not like iodine supplementation. There are a lot of practitioners who believe that iodine is beneficial for people with Hashimoto's, but I think it's kind of like pouring more gas onto a fire. It can cause flare-ups, especially in higher doses, but the tricky part here is that it seems that iodine might only be problematic for the thyroid in the presence of a concurrent selenium deficiency. So if you're taking iodine, you might want to get your selenium levels checked too. But I still don't really love iodine supplementation. I would prefer that you get your iodine because you do need iodine. Um, It's critical for your thyroid function, but I would prefer that you got it from food sources such as sea vegetables. And I'm also not saying that this doctor is wrong, but it might be worth having a conversation about selenium deficiency, especially if you don't feel like your condition has improved and definitely if it has gotten worse. All right, so next question, which I believe is the last question. So this one is from somebody who says that she has not been diagnosed with any autoimmune condition, but she has had tons of blood work done. She says that she definitely has a positive ANA and tons of symptoms, but no actual diagnosis. And she says, I'm worried about being on the wait and see what happens plan, which doesn't seem like the best approach, especially if I'm not feeling well. So for those of you who don't know, an ANA stands for anti-nuclear antibodies. And that's a test that by itself does not diagnose an autoimmune disease. So if you were to test the general population, there would be a certain number of people who were healthy but still had a positive ANA. So a positive ANA does not mean that you have an autoimmune disease by itself. So that could be one of the reasons why you don't have an autoimmune diagnosis because your symptoms don't correspond with the diseases that go with a positive ANA because a positive ANA is also not required for all autoimmune diseases to be diagnosed. But this also doesn't mean that you don't have an autoimmune disease, um, but that's also one of the reasons why it may be unclear. So diseases where a positive ANA is required to diagnose are usually more connective tissue or joint type diseases like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or anything that you would see a rheumatologist for. So if you are someone who has been looking for answers for a long time and you feel like you've been seeing the right practitioners and they've been testing you thoroughly and no one has come up with any answers, it's okay to work on your own things in the meantime. So this would be someone who doing an elimination diet might really be helpful for. And I think for anyone who is really just kind of stuck in that place where, you know, you aren't, um, you're starting to have some symptoms or even if you've been having symptoms for a while, but they're just really starting to be bothersome. Those are the people who really benefit from doing some of the things that I mentioned earlier, that diet, lifestyle, um, and environment piece, because either it's going to help you help your symptoms go away or your symptoms are going to keep getting worse and eventually you'll have the positive lab work and be able to get a diagnosis. But that's the great thing about this other approach is that none of the things I suggested are going to do you any harm. So you don't really have anything to lose by trying. It takes a little bit of time and effort, but if it's going to actually make you feel better, it's definitely worth it. 
there are so many people who live in that weird gray area between full-blown autoimmune disease and being completely healthy and then they make a lot of these changes and they feel better and then they don't even really care about getting a diagnosis anymore because their symptoms are gone and that was their main goal in the first place. So now that's not to say that everyone is going to be this way or that everyone is even going to be satisfied with not having answers for why they were feeling a certain way, and that's okay too. But if you just need to feel better and you don't really care to keep searching for the answer to why you're feeling bad, make some of these changes and see what happens. So I am so glad that I got to answer a few questions from you guys. Keep them coming. If you have any questions that you'd like me to answer about anything, um, you can submit those at marthaflorence.com forward slash question, or you can head over to Instagram and just leave a comment on whatever my most recent photo is with your question. Just tag it and say, hey, this is a question for the podcast. And I will, I'm keeping a list of those to um, answer as I have time. So thank you so much for listening this week. You can find the show notes for this episode at marthaflorence.com slash episode 11. So that's episode 1-1. And if you enjoy this show, I would really love it if you would leave a rating or a review on iTunes. You can even do that straight from the app on your phone. So you don't even have to get onto your computer anymore to do that. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week. 